patriotism, faith, national unity, education, fiscal responsibility, civility, the values that define America. Fascinating stories and talks from America-loving patriots dedicated to preserving freedom, opportunity, and justice. Welcome to the Friends and Fellow Citizens Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Friends and Fellow Citizens. I'm your host, Sherman Tylowski. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you will enjoy today's episode. And I am so thrilled that this is our first episode for our year two of Friends and Fellow Citizens. If you haven't already, make sure to check out our one-year anniversary episode, which was released last week. Today really marks another great year that I'm really excited about. And uh, we've got some really great announcements, not just new content every single week, but we've got new announcements that will be coming up pretty soon, everything ranging from Patreon to even merchandise. I know, right? It's been a long time in the making, but I'm really excited that this year will be another breakthrough year, and we will be able to grow our show in the upcoming months and years to come. Now, today we will be discussing our third signer of the Declaration of Independence as part of our Sacred Honor series, William Whipple of New Hampshire. Whipple was born in 1730, and he was a descendant of an early settler named Samuel Appleton. He grew up with a limited education, but he really wanted to be a sailor. He actually got more involved in becoming a merchant, and he became quite successful in his hometown of Portsmouth. He was not born in Portsmouth, but that was really where he built a lot of connections with his constituents. And I think you'll hear throughout this episode of just how dedicated he was towards his constituents and the people he knew. Over time, you know, as the changing sentiments would emerge about the British, Whipple decided to become more involved. And I think my my perspective is, you know, as a merchant, he probably also saw the implications of what was happening to his business uh, and all and the businesses of his of his counterparts. But he decided to do something about this. And I don't think it's easy for someone to have a career, to become a sailor or to become a merchant, and to really abandon so much of that for a cause that wasn't even fully realized at the time. In 1775, he was elected to represent Portsmouth in the Provincial Congress in New Hampshire. Now, with all this crazy stuff going on, New Hampshire created a provincial congress because, well, someone had to kind of run things in New Hampshire at the time when royal governors and other loyalist officials were just kind of running around or running away, even. Amidst all this chaos, you know, with the protests and the riots that were happening, he was elected to represent that town, and he was known as someone who people could get along with. He was someone who was very dedicated to fixing problems within government and within uh, the larger society as a whole, and he he got a lot of respect for that. He didn't he didn't get liked by every single person, but there were a sizable number of people who res- at least respected him. 
he truly believed that trust is a huge mechanism for how he was able to accomplish the many things he did later in his life. And through the many connections he had, along with the service he had for his hometown, in 1776, he was appointed a delegate to the Continental Congress, where he served alongside Josiah Bartlett, whom we covered in the previous episode, um, and a couple of individuals, um, Matthew Thornton, one of them, but he will his episode will come a lot later, uh, given the delay in his signing. In 1776, we all know that that remarkable year and that landmark year uh, that which we remember every single year on July 4th. On January 7, 1776, Whipple wrote to Josiah Bartlett, and I think this is a very, very important quote to recall. He said, quote, This year, my friend, is big with mighty events. Nothing less than the fate of America depends on the virtue of her sons. And if they don't have virtue enough to support the most glorious cause ever human beings were engaged in, they don't deserve the blessings of freedom, unquote. We'll unpack that a little bit later, but I this quote really stuck out because remember, this revolution was not just a series of chaotic events of just raw emotions. It, it was a gamble. No one knew what was going to happen. The British didn't know. The Certainly the colonists didn't know. It was a gamble on both sides. And Whipple, I think, really believed that for this gamble to work and to sustain, future generations would have to learn about how their freedoms were protected and ensured. Whipple was really hardworking during the uh, Continental Congress uh, uh, meeting in Philadelphia. Again, he voted for independence on July 2nd. Remember that John Adams did famously say that July 2nd would be the day that Americans would remember, uh, but it was actually the 4th when it was announced that the Declaration of Independence had been signed. He, uh, he voted for independence on July 2nd and signed the Declaration of Independence later in August 2nd, 1776. Whipple was very, very active, as I mentioned earlier, and he was so active that as part of the Marine Committee, which he was on, he and his fellow members appointed probably one of the greatest leaders in American military history, really American history in general, John Paul Jones. And John Paul Jones was appointed to command the Ranger in Portsmouth on June 8th, 1777. Whipple was also a man who really wanted to serve for the the militias that were fighting at the time. Now, it's in 1777, he first got his commission as a brigadier general. I've seen that he was chosen to captain. I'm not sure exactly what the discrepancy is between captain and brigadier general, but let's just assume that he, he did ultimately gain the title of brigadier general. And you have to understand, you know, with New Hampshire, with where it was, it was a very, very unique location. The British had a strategy that they want to exercise. I won't go too much into detail 
about the series of events. But essentially, the British wanted to cut off New England from the rest of the colonies. They were going to divide both sides using kind of a dividing conquer strategy so that the colonists wouldn't be able to move troops around, move logistics around. And that was a plan for General John Burgoyne of the British Army. Now, Burgoyne, I think, probably felt pretty confident that this was going to work out. His plan was to come down from Canada and to meet armies from the, the South and the West uh, to eventually join up and start this campaign. And there were a lot of concerns when Fort Ticonderoga in upstate New York was overtaken by the British again uh, from the militias. Uh, there were concerns that the British would have a lot more artillery, uh, not to mention more territory that they would control in upstate New York. And this was a very, very big concern in New Hampshire. Well, Whipple, as Brigadier General, knew that he had to join this fight against General Burgoyne and the British military. He, go, he joins with uh, John Stark, General John Stark, uh, also of New Hampshire, who I mentioned briefly in the last episode with Josiah Bartlett, and someone who I think will deserve an episode. Uh, he, he is a very, very remarkable guy, um, and I, I, I will just briefly mention him in this episode as well. General Stark and Whipple, uh, Brigadier General Whipple, made their way with General Horatio Gates of the Continental Army, and what was so clever about the militias was that they basically were able to throw General Burgoyne's army off guard. At the Battle of Bennington, uh, Burgoyne really got there, and he I think he underestimated the power of these militias. And he encountered some in Bennington and Friends Day, Vermont. Well, General Burgoyne had a really, really bad time with the Green Mountain Boys, which was a militia that was very fierce. Think of some other guys like Ethan Allen, uh, these guys, and Benedict Arnold before he became a traitor, obviously. Um, and Burgoyne had just a, such a bad time. He he couldn't keep out these rebels. He couldn't keep out the militias. And he had to return back towards Saratoga. Now, again, I will not go too much into detail with Saratoga in this episode, but it was because of Brigadier General Whipple and the others in General Gates' army that they were able to overwhelm the British in Saratoga. And with nowhere else to go, and with that strategy of the British army going from the south and the west meeting up, well, that didn't work out very well at all. In fact, it actually didn't work at all. Uh, General Burgoyne surrendered. And in that famous painting that you can still see in the rotunda, it's called The Surrender of General Burgoyne, you can actually see not only General Burgoyne and General Gates, but Brigadier General Willie Whipple was also in the painting. He is the fifth person from the right. If you Google the image for yourselves, Whipple did an incredible job of bringing together those different brigades and launched those attacks on the British Army. And he was given so much credit that he 
and another guy named Colonel James Wilkinson were chosen by General Gates to determine the terms of capitulation of General Burgoyne and his army. And the deal was that the British army would make its way towards Boston as long as the British did not try to put up a fight. And it was because of Whipple and Wilkinson and the Continental Army that they were able to peacefully accompany the British troops towards the Boston area. And what was really amazing is that Whipple was the one who delivered the news about Saratoga, that huge victory for the Continental Army, to John Paul Jones, who then delivered that message all the way across the Atlantic to Benjamin Franklin, who was right in the midst of negotiations with the French about French support for the colonists at the time. Imagine you're Benjamin Franklin, and you're trying to put a, a case. You, 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 your big challenge is to convince the French that they could win this war with their help. And when you hear the news about Saratoga, about a really embarrassing defeat for the British, this was a huge, huge deal breaker. That ultimately, I think, pushed the French towards the side of the Americans, and Benjamin Franklin, with again a lot more work, wasn't just that piece of news, but with a lot of work, was able to convince the French to join the effort. Whipple also was involved in another battle called the Battle of Rhode Island, which, while wasn't super duper successful, it was the first test of the French and the Continental Army working together to try to thwart the British. It would ultimately become a lot better, thank goodness, because otherwise, well, we uh, history would be very, very different, to say the least. Uh, but it was also a very, very huge test for Whipple himself. Remember, as a brigadier general, he had to be a leader. And in, in, according to one story, there was a shot that was shot basically really close to him, himself, and it actually either hurt hit his leg or it hit one of his men's legs, which required amputation. Regardless of who lost the leg, Whipple had to be a leader who understood the consequences of what the British could do to the colonists if had they not won this incredible, incredibly difficult battle and an incredibly difficult fight. I want to now turn to someone else who I think represented Whipple in a lot of ways. And I'm talking about a guy named Prince Whipple. Prince Whipple was a prominent slave for Whipple. Whipple did have slaves and other servants. And Prince Whipple was very, very vocal about abolitionism. Yeah, he was. He actually served. He was able to serve alongside Whipple. Now, it wasn't really because the, the Continental Army was very, very fervent about abolitionism. It was because the British were already using a tactic, effectively telling slaves that their freedoms would be guaranteed if they served alongside the British side, and the Continental Army realized that they had to 
have as much manpower as they could on their side. That's why you saw a lot more of these actions of letting in more slaves to join the fight alongside the colonists, even though they were not guaranteed freedoms, certainly freedoms outlined in the Declaration of Independence. One day, Whipple was getting ready to join General Gates in New York. And he says to Prince, he said, quote, Prince, we may be called into action, in which case, I trust you will behave like a man of courage and fight bravely for the country. Sir, replied Prince, in a, in a kind of a, in a kind of a strict term, I have no wish to fight and no inducement, but I had I my liberty, I would fight in defense of the country to the last drop of my blood. And Whipple replies, well, Prince, from this moment, you are free, unquote. Remember that Prince really was already a huge advocate for abolitionism. I think it took a lot of guts for Prince to say that. And while technically Whipple would not free Prince until 1781, I believe uh, Prince was officially released in 1784, but this really represented something that was almost unheard of at the time. Not only to have Prince have the guts and the courage to speak out about abolitionism, especially towards his own owner, but for Whipple to contemplate about it and to do the right thing, certainly in hindsight, of releasing Prince, allowing him to be a free man. And Prince later had a small plot of land. He got married. Um, and he uh, lived quite a few years in, in prosperity and in freedom until his death in 1795. And this is what Whipple had to say about this little experience he had with Prince. He wrote to Josiah Bartlett again, quote, the last accounts from South Carolina were favorable. A recommendation is gone thither for raising some regiments of blacks. This, I suppose, will lay a foundation for the emancipation of those wretches in that country. I hope it will be the means of dispensing the blessings of freedom to all the human race in America. Unquote. Again, I'll reflect on this a little bit later in the episode, but remember, you know, th- th- there's there's so much of a public perception about the founders that none of them were able to compromise on slavery. Everyone was on the same boat here. And I'm not saying that Whipple had an easy time considering to, to do something that was so, so different, so rare in those in that day and age. But it's important to know that it's because of the stories of each of these founders, these individuals who each had their own strengths and weaknesses, that we are able to understand the full scope of what the founders truly believed and what they wanted to set for this nation. 
the other thing to note, though, and, and this is something that's really, really important in any kind of history, which is that uh, there was some speculation that Prince Whipple was depicted in that famous painting, which I'm sure you're all familiar with. You can Google it if you, if you like. It's called Washington's Crossing of the Delaware. And if you notice, there is a black man who's sit, who sits right in front of Washington um, operating one of the oars. And some people thought that it was Prince Whipple. However, based on accounts, though, he, he would not have been able to be with Washington at the time, most likely because he would have been with Whipple, who was serving in Philadelphia in the Continental Congress. And, and you have to also remember that abolitionists at the time, this was in you know, the 1850s, I mean, for, for decades during the abolitionist movement, uh, for decades, you know, abolitionists did everything they could to use the stories of American history to present their case uh, for ending slavery. Later in life, Whipple was able to serve in some kind of capacity for Robert Morris, who was a, a financier, uh, but his health started to become a problem. He had problems with his heart, and he just couldn't really continue a lot of the duties he wanted to continue. He did serve as an associate justice for the, the Superior Court of New Hampshire. Uh, Josiah Bartlett also was very prominent in the Superior Court at the time. And uh, Whipple's health just really deteriorated, and he couldn't serve, probably to the extent in which he really wanted to. In 1785, he passed away without actually witnessing the, the election of our first president, George Washington, as Washington was inaugurated in 1789, four years later. Now, as we reflect on William Whipple in this episode, I want to leave with some big takeaways that I think are going to be really helpful for all of us to recall from this delegate from New Hampshire. The first is understanding the struggles of those who fought for freedom is, is actually part of enjoying the freedoms. Remember I brought up that quote earlier with him saying that for those who don't understand the struggles, don't deserve the freedoms. And that I think is very, very true. You know, in this day and age, we are living in very, very different times, but that doesn't detach us from where we come from. We have to accept the good, the bad, the ugly, and all the aspects of history. We, we cannot detach ourselves from that. But most importantly, when it comes to enjoying freedoms, just like how we should understand you know, where bread comes from or where our or computer, where computers are made, we should understand where freedoms come from, and I think to a deeper level, because there were a lot of people, who, like I said earlier, took a gamble. They didn't know it was going to be successful. Imagine if one of us, if every single one of us took a gamble on freedoms that we might not even enjoy. I mentioned that Whipple was, uh, died in 1785. He didn't even witness the, uh, the Constitution. One thing that's as interesting, though, is that he did present a draft of the Articles of Confederation to Ezra Stiles, who was a would be a president of Yale University and also founder of Brown University. So for those who Yale graduates or Brown University graduates, you have someone to thank. And it's not me. It's Ezra Stiles. <laughs> now, the other thing, though, is goes goes back to this idea of trust. 
And then the second thing is building trust with your community is how you gain support for those larger missions. And while it sounds really obvious, you know, it ties a little bit to Josiah Bartlett here because these two individuals came from a small state, from small towns, but were able to know a lot of people, know, were able to know the right people, not only to gain power in politics, but they were also to, able to become part of larger campaigns. Whipple would not be able to be part of the Saratoga campaign had he not done those smaller deeds of service for his people in Portsmouth. He would not have been able to witness the events that, or the issues that affected his own constituency as part of the New Hampshire Provincial Assembly, or the Provincial Congress. Whipple understood that building trust is really a key cornerstone for anyone in public service. And I think he knew that he wanted to bring this message to future generations. That's why I think is also really very much emphasized in that quote I read earlier about people enjoying freedoms, but also understanding where they come from. It's about building that trust. Never forget that building trust with your community, whether you have been living that community since day one of your life, or whether it's a community that you have adopted as your new home. Make sure that those bonds never go away. Not only do they not go away, they should be stronger over time. And lastly, never be afraid to do good deeds. Even even if you know you might not personally witness the positive changes in society you're trying to promote. This really ties back into the quote I read earlier about Whipple freeing his slave prince. I like I mentioned earlier, I don't think it was easy for any of these founders to to do what they needed. Some a couple of them were already very fervent at abolitionism, but for someone like Whipple, you know, he had a number of slaves, and it took a little while for him to ultimately do what he said he was going to do. And in that quote, it really sums up, I think what a lot of people in the past did, not every single person, but a lot of people knew that they were taking a chance and they they were doing things that were out of the ordinary because they know that somewhere down the line, people are going to enjoy more freedoms than they ever did. And it's not going to, and just because it's a different era in the future that Whipple was never going to live through, you know, 2021. He knew that he needed to do something to at least show that there that progress is possible in America, that people can still be clairvoyant and still see a much brighter future. That is what this essence is all about. I think Whipple really teaches us a lot about this trust, about the the freedoms that people fight for, and ultimately doing those good deeds, even if they're unnoticed, even if they might be considered small or strange. What you need is good judgment and great thinking and great relationships with other people, just like what Whipple had with his people back in Portsmouth and back in New Hampshire. And while he never lived to see the formal formation of the United States of America, he certainly embodied a lot of what we can learn from and what we can build on in our own lives to serve our nation. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Sacred Honor series about William Whipple. I hope you enjoyed this, and I hope that you have learned something about this delegate from New Hampshire. And make sure you subscribe to Friends and Fellow Citizens and look out for future announcements coming up about how you can play a bigger role in, in the show, as well as more benefits and more goodies for our audience after an amazing year as we kick off with this episode and kick off this second year. Have a great rest of your day and rest of your week. And remember, a day in America always gets better, but we are with our friends and fellow citizens. I'll see you next time. <laughs>